What a wonderful morning, right? God is good. God is good. We are going to continue celebrating, if that's okay with you. We have a lot to celebrate today, and uh, later on, as we get through the week, there's a lot more to celebrate through the week, um, and it is amazing to rest in the goodness of God and see how he is working in all of our lives throughout the whole uh, vast body of Marian Methodist and the plans he has for this church. So as we read the scriptures, we have two scriptures that we're going to read today. And you might hear a little redundancy between the two separate scriptures because one is foretelling what is about to come with Jesus. And then the next scripture we're going to read is what actually was foretold in the prophecy. Because Jesus' life is intermittent throughout the whole Bible and to see the great plans that God had created since the beginning of time. And let us rest in these words as I read them. Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule he rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And our next scripture comes from Matthew, and this is with Jesus and his disciples as he's about to come into Jerusalem for one last time. And it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her by her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread the cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from the Nazareth in Galilee. Seems kind of anticlimactic for an old man to come up after all that, amen? <laughs> you out. Nah, thanks for agreeing with me. I appreciate that. Um, did I get it right? You know, Rachel was... Uh, is uh, Marshallese from the Pacific Islands, so you try to pronounce your middle name. I practice on that all week, and it's uh, it's up here in Pastor Mike font size phonetically. So, and what a thrill! What a thrill! Um, uh, that that was to me a way bigger thrill than the next thing I want to show you. But I do want to show you a big thrill in our congregation, fellas. If you could put that slide up. <laughs> 
off our shoulders that goes. You know, uh, we clap and cheer, and yet, you know, I get the and yet. Um, that old building had a lot of tender moments in many of our lives. Every inch of it was valuable to us. It, it made deep imprints. Uh, I know for a fact my brother, sister, and I were all confirmed there. My brother and sister were married there. My children were confirmed there. Both of them were married out of that building. Uh, my father was uh, taken uh, in his uh, celebration of life from that place. So I get it. I, I get the, the depth and richness of that building. And I want to tell you this, although I can't make their big announcement and won't steal their thunder, um, it is going to stay erect, and it is going to be used as a household of God. So we're thankful for that. So yay. And for those of you that are just joining us, that's the building we sell and to move over here. So if you're, if you're like, what are all these people so happy about? Um, <laughs> we were equipped to uh, carry two buildings for two years, but we're 18 months in, so... This is Holy Week, and I thought Caitlin did a nice job of uh, sharing that with you. And there's some things that um, we want you to really uh, deepen and enrich your spirituality by coming to some of those things. Um, and uh, we start tomorrow morning with the, the progression through Holy Week with our Lenten moments. Uh, wonderful time and fellowship up in the Carnegie, the chapel at Carnegie, which is on our, our third level there in Carnegie. Hope you'll come to that. And I will say help. In the bulletin, you'll see it says Pastor Mike needs some help. We're going to, when we get a new place like we did in June with this place, new wine for new wineskins. So we're trying some new things. And there's 700 seats that we hope will fill up by you bringing your friends and um, relatives and all that next week. And this week, we're going to move every one of these 700 seats twice. And it's really not so hard with 20 of us. But if it's just Kelsey, Simon, and I, hard. Um, we want to try some things with this uh, beautiful facility we've built, so I hope that uh, some of you, let's see how to sign up. You can text me or, or call me or send it in the in the yellow sheet. It would be a way to show up. Uh, we'd love to have you. Now, the Palm Sunday message. It's a story of two parades. Two parades are happening on, on Palm Sunday. Two parades ascend to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they have very different meanings, though both are rich with symbolism and opportunity for people to be moved. From the West comes a massive parade, a parade designed to intimidate people. Let me set the scene for you. The Holy City of Jerusalem in Jesus' time was about 320 acres. It's still that size, but a lot of cities been built around it. 60,000 people lived in that 320-acre spot. That's a lot of people and not a small space. At the time of the Passover, depending on the year, 40 to 200,000 more people would show up in the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So each year, Pilate would design this parade to intimidate those that would come to gather. The march began by Caesarea at the sea. This is modern day Caesarea by the sea. The Sea of Galilee would be to the back of the person taking the photo. But around there, Pilate would gather his people. Now this march was not going to be just a few minutes like the Palm Sunday parade that of Jesus. This is going to be a long march. Probably somewhere between a hundred and a thousand drummers would lead the way. They'd be followed by a company of banner bearers and then a battalion of foot soldiers. 
all carrying their leather armor, wearing their helmets, carrying swords and shields, ready to do battle. Behind them would be a battalion of archers. Following them would be the cavalry on horses. And then, and then Pilate, who is the king of the little area, would be on his steed, surrounded by a hundred of his closest soldiers. Now, when you rule by intimidation, you need some closest soldiers because some of your soldiers may be thinking they might want to kill you. But Pilate had his closest soldiers, his most trusted soldiers, next to him in that parade. Then after that would be several battalions of Rome's finest, looking like that, marching behind them. All morning on the day that we call Palm Sunday, the people in Jerusalem would have heard the drums and the footsteps coming closer, closer, closer. And now, right through the gates of the holy city, the parade arrives. The mood's somber. It's not joyous. Because intimidation is what's saturating the human heart in the parade that Pilate brings, and that's what he wants. There's no children jumping up and down like they do at, uh, on the street corners at, and, and on the curbs at, at Swamp Fox Parade. There, there's not a lot of happiness. There's no blankets spread out so families can have, spend their whole day there. No, no one shouts a praise. No one shouts an encouragement. No one takes their coat off and throws it in front of, uh, of Pilate as he comes on. No one rips down a, a, a branch from a palm tree and starts waving it. The drums beat. The feet march. And Jerusalem collectively bows its head, but not in prayer. Not in reverence, but in resignation. Because they know that they are under the thumb of a wicked regime. And it is showing itself right in front of them that day. The message is received. The world is dark. And you better not try to do anything about it. Now from the east comes a different kind of parade. The parade from the east is not about intimidation. It's about revelation. Like the parade from the West, this parade is also not spontaneous. It didn't just pop up. And like the parade from the West, it's rich with symbolism, but not the symbolism of war. There's no drums. There's no soldiers. There's no banners. There's no instruments of war. In fact, there's only one participant in this parade, and he rides on an animal of peace, a donkey. Imagine that. Imagine going down to Swamp Fox Parade, being there a half hour early because you want the best seat, <laughs> getting your little uh, fairway bag ready to receive all the candy, looking expectantly down 6th Avenue, waiting for the parade to come, and one float passes by. And nothing else is coming. This is a one float, one person parade. Imagine that. There, there's no accident here. That's all it was supposed to be. Because the one person who was more powerful than everything Pilate had, he enters on a donkey's colt that hadn't been broken, and he came to proclaim his messianic royalty. This revelatory entrance was proclaimed 500 years before by the prophet Zechariah, as Kelsey said. Rejoice, people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of, of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble and riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. 
very brief. And the prayed route, in fact, is very brief too. Now, sometimes when we read Scripture, we don't get context. The, the 47 or so of you that have already signed up to go to Israel, you'll get this context when you're standing in Jerusalem. But we always hear these things, and we project them into uh, what we understand and what we know. This parade starts on the Mount of Olives, which you would call a fairly large hill, but not a mountain by any stretch. It walks down through the Kidron Valley, again, which is just kind of a ravine. goes past what we'd call the Garden of Gethsemane and up through what's known as the Eastern, not East, Easter, but the Eastern Gate in Jerusalem. The Eastern Gate is the place the Messiah was supposed to come through. That's the gate that the Jewish tradition said that when, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come right to the Eastern Gate and come right up to the Temple Mount. Now, so deep and rich is that belief that the Muslims of today's world, 500 years ago, maybe 1,000 years ago, took over the Eastern Gate. They have that and they've done two things to prevent the Jewish mess Messiah from coming through. First, they took stones and blocked the gate up. So now it's the eastern wall. And secondly, they put a cemetery in front of it, a Muslim cemetery. Now, for two reasons, that should stop the Messiah. One, a, a good Jew wouldn't walk through a cemetery on account of you'd get dese desecrated. You wouldn't be holy to go into the temple. And secondly, you can't walk through a brick wall. Of course, they overlooked this whole rising from the dead and coming out of a grave thing. So, I mean, maybe that won't stop us and our Messiah anyway. But that's the thinking, and that's why it's there. And, and so in the parade, the cloaks were spread out on, on the ground in front of him. And in the same manner, the cloaks were spread before uh, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, in Second Kings, proclaiming that he was a person of highest honor. The crowd showed, showed, shouted, Hosanna, which literally means save now, which is a different way of saying, please, God, don't wait. Don't wait, God. Save us now. Take us from being under the rule of this thumb right now. Psalm 118 says this. Please, Lord, please save us. Anybody that prays that, in parentheses, you add now. Please save us now. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, they're looking at this parade saying, could this be the day? Is this truly the day that the Lord has saved? The crowd's throwing down palms and they're waving them like Simon says. They're waving them like flags because in their mind, that's one of the two symbols of Judaism, the Star of David and, and the palm leaf. And they're waving the palms, which is to say this is a parade. Now, both parades have, have a clear purpose. Pilate's parade, the clear purpose is intimidation. The Romans are in charge and the consequences of standing against that of resistance are significant. You will die likely crucified, if you resist us. Jesus prayed, it's not about intimidation, it's about revelation. The king of kings is Emmanuel, God with us. That is to say that the Lord of heaven and earth <laughs> is present. And regardless of all the horses, regardless of all the spears, regardless of all the drums, he is in charge, not some little army of a couple thousand people. The parade of one is far superior to the parade of the many. This is the Palm Sunday message. <laughs> that Jesus comes to completely reveal himself to us. He comes to completely reveal himself to us, showing us that he is the king 
above all kings. He is, when we say the king of kings, that means he's Pilate's king. He's Herod's king. He's King George's king. He's King David's king. He is the king that is above all person, per, persons, and he is here in person. Not an image, not a banner. He is there. He offers humanity a personal meeting and greeting. You know, personal meetings are kind of critical. I have a friend who simply didn't like one of my other friends, just didn't like them. And they told me once, I remember we were riding down the road, and we drove by the town where, where my other friend lives and says, you know, I really don't like that guy. I really don't like John. And I said, have you ever met him? And they said, no. I said, don't you think it would be better to form a thought and an opinion once you meet him in person? Because I think you'll find out that while you don't agree with him on two or three ideas, you'll find that he's a pretty good human being and works for the best. That's how personal meetings go. And here's Jesus coming in a parade, a very small parade, a very compact parade, the purpose of which is to meet God in person, is to offer a personal meeting of God for all who would join in. God reveals himself to us. And just like once you meet a person, you have a choice to meet, make, either to reject them or to welcome them into your lives, this same choice is here for us in God. We, here in Palm Sunday, we have this opportunity. It's, it's not just a, rev- a readiness for Easter. It's just not a, a prelude to Easter. This is the day the Lord comes and he gives us opportunity to, to reject him, to keep him out of here, or to welcome him in to here. Now, this idea of revealing ourselves makes human beings completely nervous. We're not comfortable revealing ourselves fully. It's scary to show who we truly are. We, we understand just like with Jesus, that revelation always demands a response. And we're not simply sure. I I mean, I know that to be true. We're not sure of the response we might generate from you if we reveal completely who we are. So I want to give you a little piece of my favorite youth sermon. Here's why we don't like to reveal ourselves perfect, completely. Because inside of us, we're all three people. We're not a trinity like God, but we are three different people. We are the person that we let people see. That, that's a limited revel- revelation. We, we're the person that we let people see. We, we share with others a, a, a persona of ourselves. Uh, we put up a little facade, right? I've heard it said of someone that I knew really well. Oh, I just love being around her. She's so bubbly. And yet, I know that person a little bit more thoroughly. And they're bubbly on the outside, but depression is ruling their inside. Uh, depression is absolutely ruling their inside. I, I've heard it said of another one of you, even, as a matter of fact, well, he's really confident. I, I love it when he gets up and he's really confident, even though I know that inside insecurity is ruling your hearts and your knees are, are rattling anytime you speak in front of a group of more than, you know, one. And, and I know that I've gone to some of you and said, who I just think have tremendous witnesses, testimonies, and all that, and said, hey, could you come up and speak to the group? And your response is, but I couldn't do that. 
because you're uncertain of yourself or you're afraid of the judgment that might come towards you if you step into all these lights. We tend to fully not reveal ourselves because we know if you do, I know if I do, then you only have two choices, to reject me or to welcome me in to your lives. We know what we let you see. And there's more to us because the second person that resides in us is the person we really want to be. You know, our highest hopes. That, that's the part of us that knows we've chosen to, to live lower than what's possible for us. Th- this is the part of us that doesn't have to believe in darkness. We don't have to have faith in darkness. We don't have to believe that sin exists. It lives very close to that darkness. It lives in the very existence of sin. And this is where our soul is. And it's here in the present darkness where we daily do good battle in our lives with good and evil, desiring the light to overcome our darkness. That's who we want to be. And on our worst days, we think by our own devices, we can become the person we want to be. But on our smartest days, our wisest days, our best days, we know that we cannot and we need help beyond ourselves. One thing we know for sure, we really don't want to reveal where we fall short. For instance, if you required of me one day to have the whiteboard up here and say, now, Pastor Mike, we want you to list for us so that we might see your 10 shortcomings and the greatest sins you have in your life and the things that you're drawn to that aren't Christian, and would you take this marker, and I'm gone. I would not attend that day, though we would probably have record attendance. We want to let out, not where we fall short. We don't really know what the reaction's going to be if we reveal who we really are. And this is our struggle. When we talk about the person we want to be, our struggle is with, with sin and sanity. That's our reality. And I know we need to address this more. It would really help us personally and draw us into the Lord's mission. But we're hesitant to reveal the person we want to be. And then, of course, there's that third person residing in us that let's call it the person we really are. Deep down, every single one of us knows exactly who we are, and so does God. You know, we are peeled wide open before the Lord. And we're terrified. We're terrified that others will find out who we really are, assuming we would not be welcome but rejected. The Palm Sunday message is this, and I tell you all this so you can see one simple thing, that Jesus is a friend who completely reveals himself to us. He reveals the person that he wants you to see. He wants you to see that he is your Savior and Deliverer. He wants you to see that that he alone can take you above where you are to the salvation that you desire. He reveals himself as the person he wants to be. Here's what Jesus wants to be, your friend always. But you have to receive that. And he reveals the person he really is, because who he really is is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He is able to take us through all and everything. Jesus is your friend who reveals himself to you because he knows (coughs) darkness. And sometimes he knows deep darkness. And he knows those things exist in your world. So Jesus is a friend who reveals himself 
as light available to you to overcome every darkness. He reveals himself fully to you so that you can make an informed choice to receive or reject him, to welcome him or not. And I know, I know people that have done both. I, I had a friend who came to this church for a long, long time. She served on committees. Some of you know her well. She came to church. She had her kids confirmed here. And something came along in her life. And then rather than in those darkest moments receiving Christ, welcoming him into her life, she completely rejected Jesus as her Savior, her friend, and the God is able to help her. She just walked away from him and, of course, subsequently us. Do we keep fishing to try to pull her back? Well, of course. But she had a choice when Jesus presented her, himself to her to welcome him in or reject him. Don't we... Don't we dislike when that happens? But it does. On the other hand, I have a friend named Matt who for 30 years struggled with the reality of God. Struggled with whether or not this was all a wise tale. Struggled with the fact that his wife, when she got married, demanded only one thing of him. You will attend church with me. Hoping above hope that something would rub off on him. And here's the thing. After... Uh, me knowing him here for over a dozen years. The Holy Spirit had started knocking on his, on his uh, heart. And then, and then, and he had a choice to make. He'd heard about it all his life, and none of his family believed in God, Bible, Jesus, any of that kind of stuff. But after a while of your ministry to him, with him, through him, he completely received Jesus Christ as his Savior, friend, and the God who was able to change him. And there it is. Both sides. We have opportunity in every single moment to reject or to receive the King of Kings. We have the opportunity to push away or to welcome in the King. We can reject him in our own life, be the center of our own universe, and hope for the best. Or we can receive Jesus, welcome him in. Acknowledging that huge, huge chasm that we stand before because we know that we're over here and we are not completely holy. We know those three things, those persons that reside in us. We know that here is the holy God and the chasm between the two. We cannot manage to jump it. We can't walk through the bottom of it. We can only pray that God will give us a way. And what he does is he makes a bridge. And the bridge is Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. The cross of the one who comes in to say, God is able, God is present. God is with you. He's your friend. He's here to save you. And if you walk across the bridge from where you are to where he is, you have chosen to walk into a life that's filled with, empowered, and completely righteous with him. And the opportunity is all yours. You can reject, regardless of what parade comes by you, or you can welcome in, obviously. You know what your pastor hopes for you. I'm pretty sure you know what your family wants for you. And I guarantee you should know what Jesus wants for you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we seek to love you more. Every single day you give us opportunity. And some of us, Lord, gosh, when we were just little kids, we got to wave those palm branches. 
tears ran down our cheeks and we said, Jesus, if this is your kind of prayed, we want to be with it all the time. Others of us have seen that prayed for a long time. We've seen the palm branches waving and we, we think, oh, those children are cute or where in the world in Iowa did they get palm branches? But we haven't taken the, the opportunity to just, you know, let you in. And so we walk further down the road of life and that parade comes by every single year, same time. We haven't necessarily said we don't want any part of you, but we also haven't said come in, come all the way in. You know everything about me. I want to be yours. Lord, others have, have come to you as adults. Maybe we're coming to you now. Either way, Lord, you come, even if we've rejected you a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand times. You keep coming. You, you keep marching. You keep riding into our lives and giving us opportunity. You never force us. You don't abuse us. You just keep coming. So, Lord, during this Holy Week, I ask that that spirit might pervade some of our hearts, that we might be saturated with the desire to be at one in you. Father God, we love you. You love us. Let us receive you and welcome you in. Not only will that make this week holy, <laughs> but every single day that we try to live in alignment with you will be made holy. This is our prayer, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.